Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, what an exciting season we're in here as Canvas Church. Uh, we've been in a season that we've just kind of uh, labeled Selah. And uh, it's kind of a series, but it's actually more than a series. It's really kind of just a moment uh, in our church where we feel like God is saying, hey, slow down and enjoy what I'm doing right now. Just push the pause button and enjoy and just kind of observe what I'm doing right now. Uh, the word Selah is actually used in the scriptures 74 times. 71 of those it's used in the book of Psalms and the Psalms being written in such a way that uh, it was intended to be sung. And uh, they would sing, and so this word Selah would appear uh, every once in a while. Really what it was, it was a reminder for all those singing to just stop for a moment, pause, take a deep breath, and then get going again with the next stanza. For us here at Canvas Church, we just believe that God wants us to Selah right now. He wants us to pause in the incredible moment that we're in, and He wants us to listen to what He's doing, and He wants us to just be refreshed in this moment so that we can get ready for what He's about to do. And so, if you're new to Canvas Church, I'd like to invite you into that moment with us as we continue. And this isn't just something that, uh, uh, that we're doing as a church. I've been encouraging our ministry team. I've been getting my family on board with this, this Selah moment. Matter of fact, um, this last couple of days, we just, we just paused as a family. We took a couple of days at the beach um, just to, just to kind of just enjoy what God is doing in our life and reflect and talk. And so, I want to encourage you church join with us in this moment but not only that see how this applies to your life and what are some areas of your life that God wants you to push the pause button on and just get in tune with what he's doing so you don't miss out because here's the deal I don't know about you but I don't want to miss out on what God is doing right now in my life I don't want to miss out on what he's doing right now in our church are you with me and so let's not just be in such a hurry to get to the next thing, but let's push the pause button and let's enjoy what he's doing, what he's building right now in this moment. Turn your Bibles this morning, if you would, as we continue our Selah series to the book of Genesis. Genesis, the, new, the first book of the, a new, uh, of the Bible, first book of the Old Testament. And so it's really easy to find for those of us that are new to church. Just open up your Bible, go to the very first book or point and click. Also want to encourage you to get out your notebooks this morning, or more importantly, get out your phone or your iPad, download the app, and uh, all of our notes are right there, and you can follow along with us with some fill-in-the-blanks, and there's some great places there for you to take notes as well. But we're going to jump into Genesis chapter 28, starting in verse 10, as we continue the Selah series, and, um, and just see what God speaks to us today. Genesis chapter 28, verse 10, and it reads, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. Who is Jacob? Uh, Jacob is a key person in Scripture. Um, he's actually a key, really key person in all the Old Testament, really a key person even in our, our history today. Uh, Jacob has a brother named Esau. Their father's name is Isaac. We talked about Isaac last week who had a dad named Abraham. All right, so Abraham is Jacob's uh, grandfather. Isaac is uh, Jacob's dad. And uh, we talked about them last week. But now Jacob and Esau, uh, their dad Isaac, man, they're twins actually, Esau and Jacob. And so when they were born, uh, it, is, it is customary in those times that at some point, the dad, we being Isaac, would pronounce a blessing on the firstborn. Okay, now I mentioned that they're twins. Well, Esau happened to come out first. And so he was the firstborn, and then Jacob came out second. Pretty cool story. He like came out like this, holding on to Esau's, Esau's heel, fighting. Like, I want to be first, right? 
And uh, so Esau comes out first. So at the appointed time now, Isaac is to pronounce a blessing upon Esau, the firstborn. And this was like a significant moment where they would inherit something, not just a, a natural inheritance, but a very spiritual moment for them where their life would be blessed. Well, Jacob is a little bit unhappy about that because Esau only came out moments before. And so he's kind of a little bit miffed. So he actually tricks Isaac into blessing him instead of Esau. Okay, and so now because of that, you can imagine there's a little bit of a, a, a feud between the two brothers. Now, how many of you guys in here, you have siblings, brothers and sisters, all right? All right, how many of you guys fight with them? Don't lie in church. Every hand should be up right now, right? Like if you're a good, healthy family, you have some good, healthy discussions and maybe some fights here and there. Uh, we, we, like, we were at the beach the other day, and I saw my daughters uh, getting into a little moment together, and then it turned into play and fun. But for a moment, there, I was just like, okay, where's this going? Where's this going? Um, and so they're, they're going at it, man. And so now because of this, there's this tension between Esau and Jacob. Jacob needs to leave where he's at. And in addition to that, his parents are encouraging him, hey, I want you to go to Haran, and I want you to go find a, a wife there, because apparently there weren't any good ones where they were at, all right? And so, so now he's encouraged to leave and to get away because of the tension, but also to find a wife. And so that's why he's on this journey. So he's on this journey. Jacob leaves Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he reached a certain place. Now, the, the word certain here really signifies it's a place that has no significance, all right, it's just a resting spot. It's a place where it's getting dark out. Hey, it's a certain place, all right? Just, just rest for the night. Matter of fact, we're going to see here in just a moment that it wasn't uh, the very most comfortable place in the world. He reached a certain place, spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones from the place, put it there at his head, and lay down in that place. Now, now you realize how uncomfortable the place. The softest thing he could find for a pillow was a rock. Are you with me? All right? So, I mean, he looks around, okay, what am I going to use? A rock for a pillow, all right? And he, and he goes to sleep, verse 12. And he dreamed. A stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching heaven. And God's angels were going up and down on it. Yahweh, that's God, was standing there beside him, saying, I am Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your offspring the land that you are now sleeping on. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a very big compliment, right? Like, what? No, what he's saying is they're going to be like numerous like that. Like, there's going to be so many of you, you're going to be like the dust of the earth. What verse am I on? Perfect. You guys are paying attention. Just want to make sure. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out toward the west, the east, the north, and the south. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Look, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to the land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. I love that verse. Some of you need to grab onto that verse right there. Some of you feel like God's forgotten about you. Some of you feel like you're not going to achieve the things that he showed you. But listen to this verse. I will bring you back this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Amen. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. It now went from a place 
uh, a certain place that really was insignificant, that had no significance in his life, to being this is none other than a place where God dwells. And the only difference in the journey was this moment of rest, was this Selah moment, where this moment where he decided to push the pause button in an insignificant place, an insignificant moment in his life, he pushed the pause button, he laid his head down, he rested, and when he got up from his rest, look what happened. It became an awesome place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that was near his head and set it up as a marker. He poured oil on top of it and named the place Bethel, though previously the city was named Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, if God will be with me and watch over me on this journey, if he provides for me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. This stone that I have set up as a marker will be God's house, and I will give you a tenth of all that you give me. An insignificant place becomes a very significant place. A common place becomes an uncommon place because of a Selah moment in Jacob's life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word is awesome. Lord, I pray that in the next few moments that we have together, that, Lord, you would just speak life into us, that, God, you would encourage us, that, Lord, I pray that every person in this place would walk out of here today knowing that you have a great purpose and a great plan for their life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. I shared with you just a few moments ago that uh, my family decided to take Veterans Day weekend. As a matter of fact, my daughter, my youngest, crushed her work like on Wednesday and got all of her work done so she could have a five-day weekend. That's a smart child right there. And uh, so we decided, well, let's just pull away for a couple days. And so uh, we went to the beach and stayed at a condo just for a couple days and, and just a moment where we, we can just refresh as a family. And the reality is, is it wasn't actually the most relaxing of weekends to do that uh, because we, we head out there on Thursday, uh, Friday. Uh, my daughter had to come all the way back because she's on the journalism team for her high school, and she had to come all the way back to take pictures and to get some stuff uh, for the game because their school made it to the playoffs. Come on, somebody. And they won their game on Friday night, so they're going on. And, um, and so she had to capture some pictures. So we were down at the beach. We had to come back uh, to where we live, and then we went back down to the beach. And then on Saturday night, um, the kids, as I shared, they had their, their laser tag moment. And so that was all the way down in Point Loma on Rosencrantz at the Ultra Zone. And so we drove them down there. But then like at 6.30, we had to be up to pick up a washer and dryer and, uh, because ours broke down. Now, the true story is this. They didn't both break down, all right? Um, this last, well, about a week, a week and a half ago, our dryer broke. Can you imagine going a week and a half without a dryer? First world problems, right? It's like when you lose the remote and you're like, oh, I got to get up and change it by the TV, right? I had to hang my clothes up to dry. It was brutal for a week and a half. But because um, I don't like matching things, i.e. my wife doesn't like when things don't match, we couldn't just get rid of the dryer and get a new dryer because it wouldn't match the washer, right? And so we had to get a brand new washer and dryer. Are you with me? Anybody feel my pain out there? Like you just, it's got to match, all right? And so we went ahead and sold our washer and dryer as a combo, broken down set. There it is, go. And so I find this perfectly great white set. And I'm, we're going to pick up. And my wife's like, no, I like this one, the stainless steel set. Don't lie. You found it. You love it. 
So we negotiate the deal, we work it out over offer up, and, uh, and so like, okay, and so we're trying to connect on a moment of when we can go pick this up. We were supposed to pick it up last week, didn't work out. We were supposed to pick it up during the week, didn't work out. And the only time we could find to pick this thing up was Saturday at 6.30. So here we are trying to have the Selah moment as a family. We're running all over the place. And so now we're on our way to pick this up. Then we're going to go home. We're going to set this thing up. And so I get to the place, and my wife's like, I'll just wait in the car. And I'm like, okay. And so I go up, and I start getting a text message from her. She's like, what is taking so long? And I'm like, well, get up here and help. Maybe it'll go quicker. Um, I go up. I love you, babe. Yeah. I, I go to pick this thing up, and so I'm going to look at it, and I'm like, these are great. And she goes, thanks. I said, how, you know, how, how are you doing? How's your week? She goes, it's been the worst week of my life. I'm like, whoa. She goes, matter of fact, today was a really tough day. And I'll be honest with you, in the back of my mind, I'm like, dang it, why did I ask the question? I just want to get the washer and dry and go. She's like, today I was at the hospital all day because my best friend um, found out her eight-year-old daughter was diagnosed with cancer. So I'm picking up a washer and a dryer, but God had something different in mind. And then Bert shows up to help me. And this, this is how funny this thing got. Bert wasn't there yet to help me because he showed up late. Bert, where you at? No, just kidding. He was on time. I told him. He was right on time. But I'm literally, as I'm talking with this, when I'm talking with this, this lady, and I'm, I'm trying to minister to her a little bit, like, man, that's sad. I'm going to try to turn off the faucet so I can unhook the thing, and I can't turn the faucets. Like, what is wrong with these things? It's like God was saying, Ben, pause. Listen to what's going on. And then, so then Bert shows up, like, two minutes later, he walks up, and he's just like, boop, 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 boop. And I'm like, what? Like, even the lady was like, he's got the magic touch. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Bert. He just literally, he just, like, pastor, what's, what, what's the problem? I'm like, dude, you been working out? What's going on? No, God wanted me to push the pause button to hear what was going on in this woman's life so that I could tell her, hey, we'll be, we'll be praying for you. Yeah, we're just hoping for a miracle. I, I happen to know a guy that does miracles. We're going to be praying for you. But see, I, I was in such a, a hurry. I'll be honest with you. I, was, I just wanted to get in, get my washer and dryer, make my wife happy, and get home. But because I pushed the pause button and said, how are you? How was your week? All of a sudden, a very insignificant thing, picking up on a washer and dryer, turned into a very significant moment in her life and even in my life. And I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit was speaking because I'm believing for a miracle for this eight-year-old. But had I not pushed the pause button, had we not just slowed down for a moment, maybe that insignificant moment would have never became a significant moment. How many of us are rushing through our life to get to the next thing? On a journey we're supposed to be on, heading to a destination we're supposed to be, but we're in such a hurry to get there that we forget to push the pause button, slow down, and because of that, someone's not experiencing a miracle. Because of that, someone's not experienced what God wants to do in their life. What would happen, church, if we just said, hold on a second, I'm pushing the pause button, I'm slowing down, because it's not just about me, it's about his kingdom come and his will be done, and there might be somebody I'm sitting next to right now, there might be somebody I'm picking a washer and dryer from that needs to know that they can have a miracle. Here is Jacob on his journey a very important one. He's about to get a spouse. Come on, somebody. And all the single ladies, all right? You're like, yeah, I want to be on that journey, right? He's on a journey to get a spouse. He's, he's leaving behind his whole entire family, really running from his brother. 
because of his ambition to try to get ahead, because he took things into his own hands, he's now running. And yet in this journey, he pushes the pause button to find rest in a very insignificant place. So I want to encourage you this morning. God has an incredible plan for your life. God has an incredible purpose. God knows what he is doing right now in and through you. We just got to be willing to push the pause button. And if you're here this morning, you'd say, man, I feel like I came in today, and I don't feel like anything has significance right now. Matter of fact, I feel like everything's just kind of calm, and I feel like everything's just kind of mundane. I, I feel like I'm just going from point A to point B, and I'm just trying to get to the next thing, and I'm not really, I'm not really doing a whole lot. I don't really feel like I'm involved. I don't really feel, I feel like I'm just kind of, nothing's gelling. I just kind of feel, guess what? In those insignificant seasons, God is setting you up for the most significant season of your life. If you push the pause button, if you say la, and allow him to work in you and through you. Are you with me this morning? Get ready. You might be feeling like you're in an insignificant moment right now, but I believe God is setting you up for the most significant season of your life. Let me just give you a few things here that when we say a lot in our journey that I see here, and I think it's so crucial, and it really leads Jacob to this moment of, this was just a place I laid down to. This is none other than a place where God dwells. It's none other than a place where God dwells. And the only difference was the pause, was the rest. When we sail on the journey, first and foremost, number one, he brings us back to the person. He brings us back to the person, and that should be a capital P. I don't know if it is on the screen, but that's, we're talking about the person. It is, yeah? Was it last service, too, or did you fix it in between? You rock, man. Our team rocks, man. Person. Look at what happens in verse 13. In verse 13, the very first thing, here he is, gets a, gets a rock for a pillow, puts his head down, and somehow falls asleep. He begins to dream, and, and the Bible says that Yahweh is standing with him. And the very first thing that Yahweh, God does, he says, yo, Jacob, I am Yahweh. I am God. I was the God of your granddaddy, Abraham. And I was the God of your daddy, Isaac, and I'm your God as well. Period. This is who I am. Selah. I love it. The very first thing that happens in the Selah moment, in the rest, in this place where he pushes the pause button, God shows up and says, it's about me. It's not about you. You, you, you find yourself running because you manipulated your dad. You find yourself running because you had ambitions and, and you went out and tried to put things in your own hands. Now you're on your way to find yourself a spouse. Jacob, you think it's all about you, but let's just push the pause button for a moment. It ain't about you. It's about me. It was about me when I was with Abraham. It was about me when I was with Isaac. And it's about me now that I'm with you. It's about me. It's about him. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. The book that we base our whole entire existence on from Genesis to Revelation is a story about him. It's a story about the Lord Jesus Christ, his redeeming grace. And if you follow him and if you put your eyes on him, yes, you'll see that you have a plan and a purpose. But all of that comes back to him. It's about him. It's about him, period. The, the story could just stop there. It is about God. And he reminds 
Jake, that's, 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 that's the way for me here at Canvas Church, for all of us at Canvas Church, when you walk through the doors, the very first thing you see when you walk through the doors, you might not even know it yet because it's become common, but we have these three little banners set up. And the very first one says, encounter Jesus. Because it's all about Jesus. Because if you don't encounter Jesus, life doesn't make sense. If you don't encounter Jesus, none of the plans that you think you have in your heart make sense. Encounter Jesus. It's about him. It's about him. I love what Hebrews 12.2 says in the New Testament. It says, "Let's looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Where are we going to look? To Jesus. Here's the great thing. In the Old Testament, it's all about God redeeming the children of Israel. In the New Testament, it's all about the work of Jesus redeeming humanity. And right now, and Jesus said, it's better that I go to the Father because I'm going to send you the helper, the Holy Spirit, who right now is actively pursuing humanity. And where is the Holy Spirit pointing them? To Jesus. And where did Jesus in the New Testament point people? To God the Father. It wasn't about, he didn't make it about him. He made it about, no, it's about God. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love that he interrupts Jacob's journey. He says, hey, remember something, son. It's about me. It's about me. The second thing, though, I love this because he's such a good God. He invites us in. Number two, he brings us back to the purpose. He brings us back to the purpose, which is his purpose. Because after he says, hey, Jacob, it's about me. Then he says, and here's what I'm going to do with you. Here's my plan and my purpose for your life. You might be on a journey to find a spouse. You might have manipulated your way. But here's the thing. I have a plan and a purpose for you. It's about God's purpose, about God's plan. And he brings Jacob back to this moment. He says, here's what I'm going to do with you. This is what I'm going to do, Jacob. I'm going to bring you back to this place. I'm going to make your descendants numerous. Man, this plan, I love it. Because the plan that he unveils to Jacob is greater than the, the, the plan that Jacob had for himself. He just unveils this thing. Wow. This is amazing. It's amazing. But see, here, here's the problem for so many of us is, is because we don't have number one down, we, we, so, we so quickly jump into number two about the plan for my life. And all of a sudden, your eyes get on a plan. This is what I'm going to do. This is where I'm going to go. And all of a sudden, here's what happens. We end up doing right things rather than God things. Because our eyes are so focused on the plan, on the purpose, on the agenda, on where we're going, on what we're doing. All of a sudden, now our eyes are no longer on the person. They're on the purpose. Listen, you cannot bypass number one. God will always bring you back to number one. He's number one. And if we just keep our eyes on number one, on the person, man, the purpose and the plan just continues to unfold gradually and naturally and beautifully. Here's what I'm going to do with you, Jacob. Now that I reminded you about me, here's, here's my plans for your life. Here's my plans for your life. What about you? Are you so concerned with the next right step that you forgot the best step, which is fixing your eyes? 
Man, I, it's in churches. It's in our church. It's in, it's in, it's in corporations. They're, everyone's using their next right step. And everybody's been so consumed with the next right step that they took their eyes off the first step, which is keep your eyes on Jesus. 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 Because if you do that, he will bring you back to the purpose. If you look at verses 13 through 15, that's what he talks about. I love Proverbs 19, 21 that says, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's plans that will prevail. Many are the plans. I had plans last night. I'm going to get me a washer and a dryer, make my wife happy, got the silver one, paid extra for the silver one. Happy wife, happy life. All right, right? And she wants me to let you know we got a really good deal. And the truth of the matter is I wanted them as well. (laughs) I had plans last night. I'm going to get in, get out. We're going to throw these things in Bert's truck. We're going to go set them up. You know what? God had different plans. And his plans are far better than our plans. His purpose for your life is far better than the one that you've designed. His plan for your life is far better, and it is a great one. Just get your eyes back on the person, and the purpose will begin to flow. I remember having a, having a conversation with one of my mentors um, probably about a year and a half ago. And I had honestly taken my eyes off of the person not, not intentionally. You're a pastor. How does that happen? Same way it happens for you. I'm no different than you. I just have a different job. <laughs> and I, I took my eyes off the person. And I started putting my eyes on the plan. Just like, just like you do. And I was, I was frustrated with the plan. I was frustrated with the purpose. I sat down with one of my, my mentors as a, you know, a huge church, 13,000 people in five campuses. And I'm just like, I want to be there someday. My eyes are on the plan. And he sat down and he asked me some very valuable questions. And you know what he did? He brought it all back to God. He said, Ben, when you first started in ministry, what did God show you? Did he show you five campuses? I'm like, No. Did he show you thousands of people? I'm like, no. What did he say to you? He said, start a church in San Diego. He said, are you doing that? I said, yeah. He goes, then what's your problem? I'm like, you right now, buddy. <laughs> right? Like, look at you and your five campuses and 13,000 people. Right? We brought it all back the person. Listen to me. I don't know how much more I can stress this. Life is so much better. Your purpose is so much more fulfilled when you focus on the person. And then he reveals his purpose. The third thing I notice is he brings us back to being planted. He brings us back to being planted. Here he is, wakes up the next day, 
This place that was just a place where he was going to rest, insignificant moment, not a big deal. Got to get going on with the journey the next day, but I guess I need some rest. Puts his head on a, on, on a rock, sleeps that night, encounters God because he pushes pause, gets up the next morning and is like, wow, this place has some significance. This place is holy. This place is none other than the house of God. And the Bible says he names the place Bethel, which means, shocker, house of God. He changes the name of the place because of an encounter he has with God, and he now names the place. This is none other than the house of God. Listen, you'll miss it if you don't pay attention. He equates now the the interaction he just had, the moment he just had, the, the experience he just had, the presence of God in that moment, the revelation that came. He equates that with being in the house of God. This is none other than where God exists. Now listen, God does not exist in a building. God does not exist in this theater. He exists in a community, in a gathering together of people. The house of God, the church of God is not a building. It's not a portable. Thank God it's not a building because we've been in so many buildings since we've been Canvas Church. We went, we went from, you know, we went from Mission Bay High School to Tierra Santa High School, started another one at San Pasquale High School, and now we're here at a theater. I am so thankful that when we moved out of Mission Bay High School, we didn't leave God behind. Come on, somebody. Because God dwells in humanity. God dwells in community. And all of a sudden now, uh, he, Jacob gets this revelation. Everything that's happening right now, man, this happens in the house of God. This happens when God's people get together, even so much so that God makes a promise to him, says, I'm not just going to bring you back to this place. I'm going to bring you and all of your descendants back to this place, and this is going to be where you dwell. What is he saying? I want to bring you back to a place of being planted. You might have to move for a little bit, but I'm going to bring you back to this place, and this is the place I'm going to speak to you and do miraculous things for you. There is something so powerful about being planted in a community. Because when you are in a community, man, there's not just accountability, but I'm telling you where two or three, the Bible's telling you, where two or three are gathered together in his name, he's there. He's there. Some of you are not hearing from God. Some of you are not experiencing the presence of God because you are not planted in the house of God. This house happens to be called Canvas. And I love this community. I love what God's doing in this place. But some of you just need to put your roots down and allow yourself to become a part so that you can experience what Jacob's experiencing here and he identifies it with, this is the house of God what I'm experiencing right now, and he brings them back to a place of being planted. I love what Psalm 92.12 says. It says, the righteous thrive like a palm tree and grow like a cedar tree in Lebanon. And then he gives the why. Planted in the house of the Lord, they thrive in the courts of our God. Something about being planted. Something about being a part of the community. And showing up on Sunday is just a part of it. Being a part of a small group. Man, just, just, just touching people's lives and interacting with one another. And there's something so beautiful about it. Getting your young people to the encounter nights and youth and they're hanging out and they're growing together. There's something so powerful. Getting on a ministry team and saying, man, where's the need? I want to help out. We get planted. And Jacob says, man, this is none other than the house of God where this revelation is flowing from. And lastly, and the worship team can come. Number four, 
in these Selah moments, he brings us back to prosperity. He brings us back to prosperity. Here at Canvas Church, we use a word called generosity a lot. Heard Pastor Brandon talking about it earlier and shared some valuable scriptures that if we're willing to be generous, you see what God does. And he brings Jacob not only back to the person, first and foremost, not only back to the purpose, not only back to being planted. This is none other than the house of God. Look at the very first thing Jacob does as a sign of worship to God. The very first thing he does, he says, I'm going to give you back a tenth of everything I have. What is that? That's worship. That tithe. So I'm going to bring a tithe. Just like my grandfather Abraham did way back when, when he had an encounter. I'm having my own encounter. God's doing something in my life. And my first act of worship is one of generosity. It's one of prosperity. What is prosperity? It is you having what you need for yourself and some to give away. But listen to me. Prosperity is not just an act. Prosperity is mostly a mindset. It's a mindset. Jacob understood something at this moment. He understood as God is speaking to him and he's encountering the presence of God. He realizes at that moment, everything I have in my life is because of you. None of this belongs to me. It belongs to you, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And because of that, my first act of worship is I'm going to give a tenth of time of everything back and say, God, thank you. Thank you. See, it's a, it's a mindset. We are not in prosperity because we tithe. We tithe because we're in prosperity. Our mindset understands that everything I have is because of Him. Everything good in my life, everything I have, man, my home, my cars, the job, the children, everything, it's because of you. That's a prosperous mindset. That's a mindset of prosperity because of that. God, I want to just continue to get back to you. Poverty mindset says I have what I have because I've worked really hard. This is mine. I'm not going to give it back. please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.